The greatest need for the Ukrainian church is prayer and intercession. There's a group of mostly elderly people, some young people, that meet every single day in Odessa at Holy Trinity Church. And they pray and they intercede and they take authority over bombs and missiles from destroying their city. And every day, rockets are shot off at Odessa. And very, very few have killed anybody. Very few have hurt anybody because this church prays against them and binds them in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So one of the pastors showed me a picture of a big plume of smoke that landed 800 feet from their church and blew up in the city and nobody was killed. Nobody was even injured. That happens every day because people pray and seek the Lord. Welcome back to the EFM podcast, where we seek to create missional conversations to equip the local church for a global impact. We're glad you're with us today. I'm your host, Tom Tyndale. Well, today I've got a really fascinating guest on. His name is Cal Zastro, and he can be described primarily, but not adequately in these four words, missions, rescue, revival, and holiness. I've, I've had the privilege of knowing Cal for about 20 years, for over 20 years, and he's been a very, very heavy influence on my life in a very godly way. And he's one of those guys that is very warm and likable and friendly, full of grace, but he'll keep you on your toes and he'll throw a zinger at you that will give you a lot to think about and to challenge your walk to go deeper with Jesus and your obedience to go to the next level. Cal's modus operandi has been to go to the greatest areas of need where there's been the least amount of help. I've heard him say in a, in a couple of different ways several times, go for the hard places. The easy ones are already filled up. And as I've watched Cal and I've worked with Cal, I worked behind Cal, I should say, over the past several years. He's been active on the front lines of the pro-life rescue movement, but his ministry is very wide in its applications. He's been to China on a number of Bible smuggling operations, and he's got a lot of really great faith-building stories that you're going to want to hear. Unfortunately, I won't have time to include them all in this podcast, but I'll give you an invitation at the end of this podcast uh, to meet Cal personally. But uh, for the sake of this podcast, as all of you are well aware by this point, earlier this year, war broke out with Russia and Ukraine. And our point here isn't to necessarily sanctify Ukraine's innocence, but to point out that wherever there is war, there are going to be hurting people. And many of them are going are already very close to the gates of eternity. This could be their last chance to hear the gospel. And now Cal has already been to Ukraine at least twice, and he's ready to return in just a couple of days here to go back for more with the rescue and revival work. He's got some great stories to tell, and I'm really, really glad he took some time for his couple of days of reprieve in the States to join us on this podcast. So welcome, Cal. Glad to have you with us today. Oh, it's exciting to be here. Hallelujah. Well, tell me a little bit about Ukraine with the spiritual tenor of life in Ukraine and the life in, in the, the communities and then specifically in the churches. What was it like there before war broke out? Ukraine was spiritually very dark. Only a small percentage of, of the population had any church membership or participation. So for the last 30 years, Ukraine has been free from the Soviet empire and it has gone to liberal politics, materialism in culture and hedonism. So Ukraine's been a very dark place for many years. And then the, uh, War broke out, and that changed some things. Hallelujah. Yeah, well, I, I went to school with some people in Ukraine uh, when I was in college, you know, 15 years ago. And they basically, the idea that I got was that there was just a pervasive pessimism. I think you said it was very dark, and that was just kind of like very contrasted. It was very much a, a contrast to the general optimism that we have in the States. 
And so a lot of pessimism, depression, and it's a good thing for there to be some spiritual vitality introduced to that. So how has that changed with war? People's trust in their money, in their newly elected democratic republic form of government where they get a vote and make some decisions, in their trust for the West and their things for peace, that has greatly shaken the people of Ukraine. And many of them are realizing that their former darkness and their trust have all been smashed. And there's got to be something more because what their lives are based upon are not working anymore. So that, that has greatly ruptured the darkness, the climate of Ukraine. When Russia invaded almost four months ago, that really shook everybody. Mm -hmm. So you're living in the States. You've got a lot of going on here in terms of ministry. How did you get involved in what was happening in Ukraine? One of the ladies that has rescued with us, who's actually gone and acted like abortion is murder by sitting in front of the doors of the abortion mill and stopping the violence, being a peacemaker. This lady lives here in Michigan near us, and we've done some rescues together. Her and her husband over the years have gone to Ukraine and rescued 10 orphans. 10 boys wow. and adopted them. So they're very involved in that. So when war broke out, one of their sons is still living in Ukraine and they've been talking to him and wanted to bring him some supplies and help and visit him and money and help him out. And so the mom who was going to organize a small team to go together, invited my daughter, Eva, the rescuer. And, and then the mom for one of her rescues she did last year, the FBI here in the States is charging her with federal crimes for interfering with abortion. And they took her passport. And so she couldn't even go. So she's just hurting. And so I prayed about it. And I said, well, you know what, I'll go and I'll, I'll lead a team. And so I took my daughter and, and a handful of other people and we went on our first trip. So we went shortly after the war started and in just a couple days here then we're going to take our fourth team over there. Very good. So what are you doing over there? What's happening? Well, what's going on is that we've connected with some evangelical churches there in Ukraine. We've connected with them. And so we bring them supplies, Bible, scripture booklets, humanitarian aid that the churches can pass out. So they are in the midst of this great darkness and this troubled time and this time of violence, they're going great gangbusters for Jesus. And an amazing revival has broken out, especially in South Ukraine, closer to where the Russian army is and where they're targeting with lots of missiles. Uh, so even if the Russian army is not near them in their part, in a certain part of Ukraine, they still throw missiles and bombs all around the country just to terrorize people. So in the midst of that terror, people are questioning things and the churches are preaching the gospel. Over a month ago, they had a national day. They've had in April or in March and May, they had days of fasting for Ukraine. And so they, the churches led the nation in that and most of the nation didn't follow in that. And then so on May 6th, they got direct and they announced the National Day of Repentance. So they called the whole nation to repent for all their sins and they listed them. And a lot of the uh, evangelical churches signed on a letter together calling the president in particular to repent for his sins so that God could bless and protect Ukraine. So in an overview, that's what's happening is the churches that are out there feeding people meeting needs, housing people, ministering to them. They're having a flood of new people come in, a flood. And by meeting needs, and then they preach the gospel, and then they're discipling those that have come to Christ, which is many thousands have come to Christ at this time in, in Ukraine. So it's exciting to be a part of. My teams and I have just stuck in south and southeast 
Ukraine, primarily in the Odessa and Nikolaev areas. But we've met refugees from all over eastern Ukraine. We've met them from all over that come down and escape the Russian army. No, nobody wants to be where the Russian army is. They've been very effective at terrorizing people and abusing and targeting civilians and killing civilians. So that's happening too. So in the midst of this war and trauma, many people are seeking God. And the churches are rising up and saying, it's our duty to lead the nation. It's our duty to minister to people. It's also our duty to pray and become more like Christ as we pray. So in one city, Odessa, the Russian government and army are desperate to take that city because that is the main port on the Black Sea. So for all of Eastern Russia needs a port on the Black Sea and they don't and they want Odessa, so they're trying to capture that. Wow. Now, you said here what the, the churches gathered together, and they actually wrote a letter calling the leaders to repentance? Yep. Saying, because of these sins, God will not bless us while our nation and while you are in sin. And so uh, it was translated to me orally, but it was written in Ukrainian and delivered and so that was May 6th, and they're still charging forward, and the churches are just going gangbusters. It's exciting to be a part of. Well, you know, that reminds me an awful lot of the book of Joel, where he talks about the the invasion of locusts, and he said, this is nothing. Uh, the great day of the Lord is coming, and it's going to be a lot worse. And in the middle of that, several times, is sprinkled a call for a sacred assembly. Amen. And boy, it's refreshing to see the church taking advantage of the times to say, when there is a need of this proportion, it should be a wake-up call to everybody to say that the spiritual vitality is where the most primary and urgent needs really are. Amen. And so let's go ahead and get that sacred assembly called to order. Yeah, yeah, we're working on that. And some churches are so busy now, they just can't even keep up with the demands of people for spiritual hunger. One church we work with in Odessa, the pastor and uh, a lot of the church leaders fled the country when the war started. And so they're off in Europe or North America, or they're off somewhere where they're physically safe from the Russian missiles and the Russian army. They're physically safe. But there were six believers in the church that were left, just six. And they said, well, what are we going to do? Well, and we've got all these neighbors that have no food and don't have enough things and aren't Christians. Well, let's start a feeding program and preaching the gospel and call them to repent and come to Christ. Wow. So these six people that were left, they started doing that and trusting God to provide. And he has provided. And so hundreds of people have come to Christ in their part of the city. Hundreds. Wow. Six people who stayed in the fray, and now hundreds of people have come to faith. And so they figured out that they better disciple them too. And none of these people were the church leaders. Wow. They're just mom and pop Christians who love Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's a crisis, there's an emergency. And they say, okay, it's time for us to trust God, and it's time for us to go meet needs and preach Christ. So they're doing that. They're, their church has exploded. They're starting another church nearby. Last Sunday was their first Sunday. We're going to be there in another week helping them out, uh, mobilizing. Uh, the Christians don't even go out doing open air in that part of the city, they don't even go out doing street preaching or open-air evangelism anymore. They don't need to. Dozens, now hundreds of people are coming to them for help and need and hope. Wow. And so they're pointing them to Christ, and they're pointing them to truth and leading them to, to Christ and giving out boxes and boxes of uh, Bibles and getting New Testaments and Ukrainian and scripture booklets and tracts, and it's just... It's literally the church has exploded there. So they understand the time they're in. 
and the opportunity they're in in the harvest. And so they're jumping right on it. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Yep. That is so encouraging. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with your wife and she had mentioned that there was a, a particular church with an older pastor who had been praying for revival for a long time. And uh, maybe you know the story and you could tell it better than I can. Well, I'll tell you two stories Yeah, about shepherds and what does it mean to be a shepherd? And when Jesus described shepherds in the Bible, he contrasted them with hirelings. Mm -hmm. So one missionary in Odessa said that 90% of the missionaries fled when there was danger. 90%. Hmm. And almost 90% of the church leaders and pastors of the country have fled too. Hmm. And that just grieves and breaks my heart. All the denominations pulled all their missionaries because it wasn't safe and it wasn't nice anymore. Well, I'll preach on that later. But right now, I want to tell you about two of the pastors that were helping up in the city of Nikolaev. Nikolaev is a place where the Russian army has it half encircled. They're desperately trying and have been for a month to encircle the city and cut off roads to it so that they can come in and terrorize the people. They bomb day and night. They do cluster bombs. In one city, they even drop napalm. Oh, my. Yep. Yeah. And the soldiers have been systematically torturing women, killing men, abusing children. This is not a special operation like the Russian government is saying. This is a terrorist war attack on Ukraine. And so one of the cities that has been hardest hit for months and is still going on daily now is Nikolaev in the southeast. And we've been there a few times now. We drive in supplies. They have a hospital there that not a lot of truck drivers want to go to. So in our van, we brought in a few hundred pounds of medical supplies for them. And they were so thankful for that. And then we tell them about Jesus and the ones that are believers are strengthened and encouraged. And the other ones, they finally get it that this Jesus is real and these Christians are for real. And they get that. So there's two pastors in that city that we've worked with that I'll mention. We've met and worked with others. But one of them, he and his wife are in the part of the city closest to the front line that gets bombed a lot. And they've been ministering, serving the Lord for over 50 years. And all through communism, they prayed for revival. All through communism, they prayed for people to repent and turn to Christ. And they saw some people get saved and they made disciples and they were faithful. And then when the Soviet empire fell apart and Ukraine became free, they kept praying, they kept preaching, they kept witnessing. And some people did come to Christ, but not too many. So their daughter grew up, their kids grew up and they've got a daughter in Florida. So they've been there 15 times to visit her. And they could just hop on an airplane tomorrow and be in Florida and be away from all the strife and the dangers and the threats and the violence. They could get out of it mm. tomorrow if they wanted to. Wow. But the pastor said to me, he said, I've been praying for decades for the harvest and it's here. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay and work the harvest. I'm going to stay in the field of souls. Whenever a bomb goes off and they do regularly there, he and his wife look at each other and smile real, real charmingly. They've made an agreement that they're not going to go to separate places while the bombings are happening. Because if one of them gets blown up, they want to go together and see Jesus together. Wow. So whenever the bombs blow up, they look at each other and smile. Say, soon we'll be with Jesus. Mm. We were at their church a month ago. They had us guest speak. and. We sang some songs, one of them in the language they understood and one in English and they translated the lyrics and, uh, you know, their church had several hundred in it before the war, but uh, most of the believers fled and, but there were 40 faithful people staying with the pastor and his wife to keep working the harvest. 
So the Sunday we were there, the church was full and overflowing with a few, several hundred people. So we went outside and ministered too, and people waited in line. And then they gave away a grocery bag full of potatoes and onions to people that came for food. And 900 people were there that Sunday morning. Oh, my goodness. That's how many bags we gave out, over 900. Wow. And then we said, okay, we're coming back tomorrow. We're not giving out food. We're just going to give out hope. And we want to disciple those of you that want to follow Jesus. And the church was overflowing and packed again. Hundreds and hundreds of people. So we preached Christ. The church in Moldova, we can't fly into Ukraine. We can fly into the neighboring country of Moldova. And so we met some people there. And uh, a church there that's getting really on board and on fire for helping and ministering there. Wow. And they had received in the mail boxes of hundreds of copies of a book translated, ready for them. It was Richard Wormbrand's Tortured for Christ. And another book by Richard Wormbrand called Preparing for Suffering. So we literally took hundreds of pounds of those in and passed them out to the new believers. And said, this is normal Christianity. This is what you're going to face. This is reality. So don't follow Jesus if you just want a nice time. Don't sign up for ministry if you always want to be safe. No, it's time to serve the Lord with everything we've got. So that was one shepherd. Um, he called. He's saying, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? So we're planning to be back there in a week and a half on the Sunday there, that's when we'll be at his church in Nikolai again. But his church doesn't have any facilities where people can stay, doesn't have any showers or any accommodation things. It's just a big old plain church building. And it's got some damage in the roof from some of the shrapnel from some of the Russian bombs that keep going off there. Two weeks ago when we were there, Eight people tried to go near the Russian army and come through the by the Russian army to, to drive to church and to try and get some bags of food and see if somebody would help them. And they were all shot and killed oh by the Russian ground forces. Yep. So you want to go to church? You might get shot and killed. And they're still coming to church. Wow. The bombs might go off. A kilometer, uh, a big one, a loud one went off while I was preaching there a couple of weeks ago. And, all, and everybody's cell phones who had a cell phone, they started beeping with the bomb alert. They said, more real than that bomb, more real than that bomb alert is the word of God and the promises of God. Wow. You're depending upon your phones to alert you when a bomb's coming in, a missile's coming in. But I'm telling you, even more real is God's word right here in your hands. His promises are more real then your cell phone alerts and more dependable. So that's uh, one pastor. The second pastor we met the first trip over there, Nikolai, he's pastor. Anyways, the one I mentioned is Pastor Stanislav. And the second pastor we met is where we stayed. It was at a bigger church building, Pastor Olek and his wife. And they have, uh, they have three little kids and they have refugees staying in the basement of their church building and they feed them. I don't know. 75 meals a day just for the normal people around they feed and the immediate neighbors and then they do bigger programs and and some of these people have been traumatized they're shell-shocked they've got uh, you know the thousand yard stare from getting bombed and some of them kind of lost it so those little children when they go to church when they go to the basement of the church during the day to go minister to the old grandmas and the traumatized people, they go find them and they go hug them and they pet their faces and they put their hands on their heads and pray for them. And they sit on their laps and sing Jesus songs to them and try and help them deal with life and reality and try and bring them to Jesus. Mm. Isn't that what all parents do with their kids when they go to church? Isn't, isn't that just normal Christianity? Well, that family, their house got blown up by a bomb. So they live in a sort of a little apartment parsonage next to the church. And they just keep loving people and serving Jesus and rejoicing. 
And the first week I was there, Pastor Oleg, he's not the senior pastor. He says, I am an associate. He said, but our pastor is visiting. He has a house also in Sacramento, California, and he's there. And Lord, forgive me for my negative thoughts about that. But he came back. He was back there when we visited the second time. And he said that is pastor in the U.S. And he's he's been pastoring there for 50 years also since he got on fire when he was saved and on fire for Jesus when he was 16 years old. So he's still serving Jesus and on fire for the Lord. And his pastor told him not to go back into danger. A lot of his family told him not to go back into danger. All he's got to do is just get a ride out and get on an airplane and he'll be in Sacramento. That's all he's got to do. But he says, this is the harvest of his lifetime. This is revival. And this is when the sheep need a shepherd and he's going to stay and help pastor people. He's got a little cot he sleeps on in the basement of the church. So he's got less likely chance of getting blown up by a bomb than in killed. His church was prepared for this trouble. They had a basement that's protected. They dug a well and they had their own water supply. So when the city of Nikolai, which was almost a half million people, when their water system was blown up by the Russians, the church is supplying water. And then they have water trucks go around and they go and witness to people in lines for water. So people come for water and they give it and they love people and they serve them. They got a warehouse full of food. They make grocery bags full of all kinds of donated and purchased food. And they pass them out to hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people through different venues every day. They just keep going. Wow. So the Sunday we were there, they asked us to sing and give a greeting. And Sunday night, they'd announced to just the neighborhood, hey, we're good. We got some more food trucks in. We're going to give food out to everybody. Hey, come for a brief Christian service come to the church and then we'll give you each bags of food so over a thousand people were inside the sanctuary and it was full so myself and some of the of our other guys from our team from the u.s and moldova we didn't even go in because it was too crowded just my daughter eva and another rescuer named caroline they went in and they sang a couple jesus songs and that was great and they preached and called people to repent and believe in Jesus and trust him for salvation. In the meanwhile, there were over a thousand or multiple thousands of people outside that we got a little speaker and we started preaching to and telling them about Jesus and then gave food bags and ministered to people and loved them and listened to their hurts and their traumas and just cared for them and, and ministered to them. And then the next day, that pastor, before we all left, he thanked us so much for coming. And he wanted to share his testimony. And we had some kids on our team. And I said, make sure you ask some really good questions of this guy. And so they did. And he shared his testimony, how he got saved at 16. When he was 18, the Russian army drafted him. And he had to go, but he wouldn't swear an oath of allegiance to the Russian army or Russian government, because as a Christian, he wouldn't do that. And so they put him in slave labor camp in Siberia for two years and made him cut trees down and work hard and almost killed him there for years. And um, he was always hungry, tired, and cold, he said. But he had Jesus with him, so he trusted God. So when he came back from that, he just kept going back. And when he was 25, they asked him to be the pastor of the church. Things had happened and people had died and they needed leadership. They needed some new pastors. So he agreed and he started pastoring. And He told one story about when they went to a water baptism on the river in their city. They knew some informants came to the church. This was when still the Soviet empire was still controlling Ukraine. And so they had spies go to every church. And so they told the spies, yeah, there's going to be a water baptism. And they said, yeah, you might want to be over at such and such a place at such and such a time. And so they went to another place at a different time and had the baptism. 
So the, so the Russian police, the KGB, wouldn't come and uh, disrupt them and mess with them. So they prayed that nobody would come and they baptized a lot of new believers in the river and were having church. And just as they were done finishing up, that's when the KGB police cars came and they were so mad because they missed the baptism and arrest. So they arrested the pastor and shoved him in a one of the police cars. And it was uh, one of the notorious Black Raven police cars. They shoved him in there. And then the church did what they're supposed and trained to do. They completely encircled the car. 300 people, they knelt down, moms, grandmas, little kids, everybody. And they prayed and they sang a special song. I said, Pastor, what was that song? They sang. He says it was a special one for such occasions and grinned really big. So that's just what normal Christianity is. Okay, mom. Okay, grandma. Okay, kids. Let's hop in the car. We're going to church. Who's got the potato salad? Every boy got their hair combed. Okay, now on the way to church, we're going to practice. Remember, we got to memorize the song we sing. If the police come and arrest our pastor, we go lay our bodies and lay our lives down in front and surround the car so they can't take away our pastor. And remember, here's the special song we sing. Brothers, sisters, what song are you teaching your kids to sing when the police come and arrest your pastor? Are you teaching your kids to go sit in front of the car and say, you can't take my pastor? I'm, I'm peacefully going to sit in front of your car. We're, a whole church is going to do that. We're going to love our pastors. Our pastors are willing. They're risking their lives for us. Our pastors have been to prison for us. We're going to risk our lives for them. And we're going to sing them a special song real loud. We're going to sing and worship Jesus and let our pastors know how much we love them. And that we're going to risk our lives to protect our pastors. Isn't that just normal? Isn't that what everybody should do? And Sunday mornings when they're driving to church is practice those songs? I think so. So those are two of the pastors that are up in that city. We've met more. We love them dearly, and because they're sacrificing to stay and be part of the harvest, we're just going to keep going and showing up and encouraging them, let them know they're loved, they're not alone, they're not forgotten. We're going to keep sacrificing to give them supplies and money. Diesel fuel's getting more rare in Ukraine and very expensive, and so we're going to help them with that. We're just going to keep going. Great. So folks who love Jesus Great. and We'll follow the team. You're invited to apply to come with me to Ukraine. Well, I want to extend that invitation. Now, Cal, you've mentioned here a few times this phrase of normal Christianity. And I know that's got to rattle a lot of people. I know when I when I visit different churches and and I share about the needs of missions and, and ministry, one of the phrases that I hear very often is, you know, it just takes a special kind of person to do that kind of work. And that grates me. Now, I want to be more normal than perhaps I am <laughs> right now, but can you talk to talk to that person? What is what is normal Christianity or biblical Christianity? And how does that fit in and mess with our our traditional way of doing things in the States? Well, brothers and sisters, here's the deal. Jesus' number one command to us is to go into all the world and make disciples, preach the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything he commanded so that everybody in the world hears the gospel. That's job one, okay? Our purpose is to worship God and to glorify him but job number one is to make sure everybody in the world hears the gospel. Everybody. And so when there's places that haven't heard yet, that means someone is being disobedient to go there. That's how I interpret it. So normal Christianity is loving Jesus and then go and find people who haven't heard yet and don't have access to the gospel. Well. Let's go to the hard places then and let's get them 
also normal Christianity is Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross is a one-way street. The cross is a one-way trip. It's where you're going to get tortured to death for Jesus. That's normal Christianity. Uh, not everyone will be martyred, but everyone must be ready to be martyred and not afraid of it. The churches in China that are honored the most are not the ones with the most members or the most buildings or money. The churches in China that are honored the most are the ones that have produced the most faithful martyrs for Christ, who've stood faithful in great trials and tribulation and testing. Yeah, some have turned away. Some love the world and love their money and love their things and still may even go to church and still may love Jesus, but they're not being obedient to take the gospel to the whole world. It should be the exception if somebody actually stays in the homeland and then it just should be so that they could keep discipling people here and raising up lots of money and raising all their children to send to be missionaries to finish the job of global evangelization. Normal Christianity is cross-bearing Christianity. Whether God brings a great revival or you get beat up and killed, that's in God's timing and providence. But normal Christianity is running to the roar, running to the need, seeing the need, having a heart to mourn with those who mourn. Where's the war happening? Hirelings, they'll run from all trouble. But Christians, they'll go dig survivors out of the rubble after the bombs hit. That's what Christians will do. And then shepherds, faithful shepherds, they will go and pick up pieces of wounded sheep and love them and patch them up and heal them and love them and see God do a great work for them. That's what shepherds do. That's what Christians do. Well, that's a good, a good challenge. And I pray for more normal Christians to step into what Christ has called us to be. So thank you for demonstrating that. Tell me a little bit about what kind of dangers you get to face when you're over there. Not much at all. You know, yeah, there's been hundreds of people killed by Russian missiles. There used to be 44 million people in Ukraine and several million have fled, like there's 3 million in Poland. And I'm not critical of them for fleeing. Okay, especially if you're from the cities that are where the Russian army is. Uh, because if you're under the Russian army, you're in big trouble and probably going to get killed there. So if the op if you have the opportunity to get some people out of there and uh, go rescue people out of there, then okay, I'm I'm not the judge of that. But everybody should do what God's calling them to do. But I know this: God is calling His church to shine brightly in trouble. So uh, we're really not. We don't drive by the Russian army when we go. Because I've taken other people's kids, you know. This last trip, there was a 16-year-old girl. There was a 7-year-old boy. He came with his dad. So we just go and love people and serve them and bless them and show them that faith is stronger than fear and, and that Jesus is love and he's wonderful. Let's turn to Jesus. And yeah, it turns out great. All right. I do want to ask you more about how... You've dealt with fear in the past. Uh, I know that whether it's been uh, walking through a war-torn street or whether it's been in uh, dealing with some of the pro-life outreach in the States, you personally have endured physical pain and separation from family and whatnot. As you've talked about normal Christianity and the risks that are associated with that, do some discipleship here. How do you prepare? How do you deal with fear and step into the fire? I wanted to share with others and be a good example for them with my family and ministry. And so I did a word study in the Bible on fear. So I looked up every word, every time in the Bible where fear or afraid or frightened, all that, where all that comes up. And so I did a complete study and I, I taught on that. 
what uh, fear is in every book in the Old Testament and every book in the New Testament. And so I did a study on that. And so some of the key verses are that I'll just quickly reference is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and perfect love casts out all fear. When we love God, when we reverence God, when we fear God, when we fear displeasing our heavenly father, when we ask him to fill us with his love, then fear of a bomb, fear of jail, fear of separation, fear of rejection from other people, fear of losing money and position, that just all fades away into perfect love. And I can testify that when we trust God for that, he takes us there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still jump or flinch uh, if somebody's going to take a swing at me <laughs> or if somebody is driving by the abortion clinic where we're preaching at and they throw a bunch of stuff at me. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try and reflex duck from that because fear is a normal human emotion that God has given us. Uh, and if it's channeled right into the fear of the Lord, then then we're doing great. If we use that to fear losing reputation and we we deny the Lord for that or dishonor him, then that's an incorrect use of that emotion of fear. So it's not just that I'm all that brave and I'm all that strong. I'm not. But I just have asked God to fill me with so much love that the fear just doesn't matter anymore. And God's answered that prayer for me and my kids and some of our ministry teams. So uh, when we love so much, then fear just doesn't matter so much anymore. Uh, that's the ticket. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and let his love fill you. And then you won't be so afraid of some of the dangers out there. Well, thank you. So you've given an invitation for people to be involved and we'd like to extend that. Talk to us, what are, what are some of the opportunities that are immediately available and, and what are some of the greatest needs for the Ukrainian church and the communities today? The greatest need for the Ukrainian church is prayer and intercession. There's a group of mostly elderly people, some young people that meet every single day in Odessa at Holy Trinity Church. And they pray and they intercede and they take authority over bombs and missiles from destroying their city. And every day, rockets are shot off at Odessa. And very, very few have killed anybody. Wow. Very few have hurt anybody because this church prays against them and binds them in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. So one of the pastors showed me a picture of a big plume of smoke that landed 800 feet from their church and blew up in the city. And nobody was killed. Nobody was even injured. Oh, my. Praise God. That happens every day because people pray and seek the Lord. So the greatest need that uh, we can do to help the church in Ukraine is, number one, pray for them. And number two is to show up and support them and to come and stand with them and see what their needs are and their hurts and their joys and their fears where they're not doing so good and love them and encourage them and help point them to the Savior and show up and help them. So we we go do that. We show up at their services. We Oh, you're going to do a feeding program? Hey, we'll come help you get a feeding program started. Okay. Um, let's go buy some food and spread the word around the neighborhood and let's go. So that's working great for, for doing that, for churches helping out with there. So how do you do that? Do you speak Ukrainian or Russian? No, not at all. I only know four words in uh, Russian. So that's all I know is yes, no, praise the Lord and potato. <laughs> so how's that for spiritual? That's all I know. And the areas we go are predominantly Russian-speaking Ukrainian people. So we have a translator from Moldova that speaks English fluently. And so he goes with us on all our trips. He's part of our missions team. But uh, last week, I met two more ladies who are Ukrainians and their families live in Odessa. And they'd be happy 
to volunteer to be translators for ministry teams that go out evangelizing or that go and help them visit churches and strengthen them. They'd be happy to be translators. So we also met another guy that we, he volunteered to go with us for a week. He was in Odessa. We took him up to Nikolai and he volunteered with us for a week. His wife and kids have been able to escape from one of the cities that's under Russian bombardment right now, close to the front. And so he got his family out to Sweden and he stayed behind and the army won't let him leave because he's uh, have some medical disabilities and they won't let him serve in the army and they won't let him leave. So he's just stuck. So he's really getting on fire for God and helping ministry teams like us go and evangelize and encourage and help people. When you pass out tracks, especially at the refugee centers and the poor areas, everybody takes them. And some people speak English and they'll come up and talk to you and you can stand church building floors or one church rented out a whole apartment, just begging us to keep coming back, keep coming back. So wow. we keep coming back wow. and encouraging them. And now they're getting stronger and they're going to do more outreaches, especially to villages that have been decimated, completely wiped out. And people are just living there in lean-tos or tents, trying to rebuild their homes and villages. So, yeah. Um, there's translators available there. Most of the material supplies that are going into the country are coming in through Romania and also through Poland. But we just made connections in Moldova. And so that's where we're primarily working through. And that's been a, a real divine appointment and providence of God making that happen for us. And we thank the Lord for other teams that are going in, but not enough are. Also, another opportunity, if people want to come on one of our teams, they're invited to apply to. Can't say automatically say yes to everybody, but come on, you're invited to apply. Also, I met a, a team of believers that are going to start a camp, like a family Bible camp week, August 8th through 14th in Western Ukraine. And they're going to try and bring in a bunch of uh, refugee teenage kids. That don't have things and they're going to bring them in and treat them to a fun bible camp for a week and uh, camp out and fun and hooting and hollering and receiving the gospel and so discipleship for the believers so i told the guy heading that up that we'd bring a team over and help with that very good yeah so if folks like to do camps and you can have all kinds of fun cooking or supplying or building or counseling at that just yeah come on we'd love to have you so the the needs there are wide and various but the the opportunities will open up if you just show up yep just show up and it's kind of what i'm getting here just show up so i want to challenge people one of the greatest aspects of the gospel is that the gospel is inherently personal. Yes. We we can pass out tracts and that's good and we can disseminate information and and there's a place for that. But when people have been they've just watched what they've seen and their 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 homes have been demolished and there's likely bereavement going on, they need a human filled with the spirit of God to reach out and touch them. Yes. And Boy, that is, uh, there's so much more in that ministry, even if you don't have a language bridge between the two of you, uh, just being there with the presence of God can speak so much. And so uh, even though the specific objectives may not be as totally clear as we'd like to make them, I promise you, <laughs> you show up and things happen and God starts to work. And God wants to strengthen his church. That We know that whether it's war or prosperity or peace or any circumstances, God is building and purifying and strengthening his church. And he is calling his disciples to go finish the job of global evangelization. So God's doing an excellent job of that in a war-torn Ukraine right now. And plus, especially the needs of going and meeting people, U.S. foreign policy billions of dollars can't do that. No. Okay. Food donated from Europe can't do that. No. 
no government can be as effective at meeting people's needs as the church is. When the churches talk to each other, communicate with each other, work together, then all needs are met. And so it's exciting to come and donate to the churches uh, money, but also a ton of supplies so that whatever the needs are, they're going out there and being met. And the gospel is preached and the church is receiving great honor in the culture now, where before it was just looked at, nah, superstition for a handful of old ladies. Wow. But the churches that have risen up and are meeting people's needs and calling the nation to repent and being faithful to the gospel, faithful to the word of the Lord, not getting caught up in all partisan politics and just wanting to kill enemies, but the churches that are preaching the gospel and living it and serving people, they are shining brightly. This is the brightest hour for the church in Ukraine. We get to see that. We get to meet these pastors that have been tortured in slave labor camps and been faithful to Christ. Don't you want all your kids to go and meet these people and hear what they got to say? That's awesome. I sure do. So if if people want to join, they can apply. And and I think from what we've talked prior to the podcast, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to get on board and, and ask for more information, the best, easiest way to do that is to just shoot us an email at podcast at 4EFM.org, podcast at 4EFM.org. And we will forward that on to Cal and start the application process. I would love for you to pursue that. Any particular qualifications you're looking for, Cal? Yeah, you have to love Jesus and you want to love people and be a team player. All right. So if leadership says, okay, today we're going to go pass out tracks and you say, no, we want to go to the Black Sea Beach. I'll say, well, no, we're going to do that Not for two reasons. Number one, we're going to go do the work of the ministry. And number two, if you go on the beach, you're going to get blown up by landmines. So, yeah, we don't go to the beach there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they don't want the Russian Navy and Army landing on the beach and invading there. Around. <laughs> so they mind it. So we don't go there. So we go do the work of the ministry. All right. And then also we could we can use more supplies like people have donated, uh, you know, literally tons of medical supplies and clothing and oh my all kinds of stuff that the churches need and use over there it's it's amazing one of the main things we take is like fancy schmancy first aid kits they're called trauma kits so they've got things to stop up a bullet hole wound and they're the size of a football and people have been buying them left and right and so just got my suitcases packed my daughter Eva, the rescuer, and I, we, um, in two days we go, we're leading another team over. So we got our bags packed with another 40 of those trauma kits. Right now, my 90-year-old parents are stamping addresses and phone numbers on the back of scripture booklets. We're taking another 3,000 of those in to pass out. As much stuff as we can, we buy in Moldova or even in Ukraine. We buy it and then we take it to where it's needed because we're only allowed such limited weight and volume on the airplanes we can. And plus, you know, food would be impractical to take with us. So we can buy some of that nearby and take it in. So if folks want to come or, you know, if you've got some nice, you know, new clothes or gently used, especially children's clothes, oh my, we've been giving a, a ton of that away. And there's one church now that we visited and they were barely meeting. And now they're overflowing. And Saturdays, they go to the bombed out villages where folks have nothing. And they show up with food and singing and praying and preaching and clothes for all the kids. And they're just having a tremendous ministry now. So folks can help. If folks are here in Michigan, we'll have a packing party the Saturday before we go, usually, where we come and roll up saran wrap around a packet of clothes, like for a little boy to have a, you know, shirt, pants, socks, underwear, stuff like that. So then we roll those up in saran wrap and we can give those to kids. Mm, wow. Yep. And 
family things and we bring some stuff to the hospitals. That's been a, oh my, what a great blessing that's been. So if people have have materials they want to donate again, contact us, podcast at 4EFM.org. We'll, we'll work at making sure that gets to the right location and medical supplies are a hot, a hot item. Kids clothes are a hot item. That's good to know. Yeah. Like bottles of ibuprofen and Moldova. So we spend money and get that, but other stuff we can take with us and we have and do. So that's exciting to be a part of. Great. And they will let, they will let minors into the country unaccompanied by their parents. So, you know, if you got a 14 year old kid or something that's on fire for Jesus and wants to help and serve, well, let's meet together and I'll ask them some questions and see if they're ready to suffer for Jesus and ready to serve. And if they're serving mom and dad and family at home, good, well, okay, then they're ready. But then mom and dad got to write a letter giving me temporary guardianship while we're overseas together and they got to have a notarized letter. So a few details like that. And I just encourage everybody listening to this to get your passport. Stop making excuses for, I can't go, I can't do just, you know what, take a step of faith and get your passport application filled out today and say, here I am, Lord, use me, send me where, where you need me, Lord, and be ready. Mm -hmm. That's part of normal Christianity. Let's get the job done. Yep. Let's make sure everybody in the world gets to hear about Jesus. That's job one. So let's go do it. Very good. Now I've alluded to this uh, at the beginning of the, of the, the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to get to know Cal on a first hand and see him live in an action in the States, there's actually going to be a holiness revival camping tour and uh, I'd like to have Cal just tell us what you'd like about that. And then if you're interested, we'll help connect you. Well, what we've done for the past several years is we get a bunch of families together and we go camping together. This year, it's going to be in Michigan. Uh, last year, it was Montana and Wyoming, and the Dakotas. We travel some around and we camp. We stay in tents or a trailer or something. So it's real cheap. And then we go do street ministry in the mornings and sometimes the afternoons. And then in the evenings, we sing and pray and worship together and teach our kids and equip them to be ready to suffer and die for Jesus. So that's that's what we want to do is equip our kids right and disciple them. And we have a lot of fun together doing all of that. So this year, August 24th through September 10th, we're going to be in the lower peninsula of Michigan, camping, doing daily street ministry. So folks want to come and bring their families and camp if they live nearby and don't want to do that. Okay, great. You can still come and hang out at the campgrounds and get a hold of me through uh, EFM here. We'd be happy to have you go do some effective street ministry. We did one of these two years ago in Michigan, and we actually did a rescue where we shut an abortion mill down for uh, most of the day or... Yeah, they didn't kill any babies that day there. We went and sat in front of the doors and actually practiced the historic Christian doctrine of interposition. And and that was a powerful witness and a powerful faith building time for all those who are participated. And it was absolutely wonderful for the dozens of children that didn't get killed. That was wonderful for them. So I don't, I can't promise, but Lord willing, we might do another rescue at this camping tour. And that's something pretty powerful to see and be a part of. So uh, come on, parents. My exhortation is I'm glad you're reading The Hiding Place to your kids. I'm glad you're reading David Livingston books. And I'm glad you're reading all those good books to your kids. But now it's your turn. It's my turn to pick up the mantle and, and to go act like rescuers, to go act like evangelists, to act like hospitality people to go act like missionaries let's let's come on let's go do it together and and let's make some history for jesus hallelujah well i hope you've caught some of the the passion and the fire for ministry and for what the christian life ought to be what normal christianity is designed to be and i can tell you i was with cal for part of the camp out a couple of years ago in michigan it was one of the best times that we had that year, and we're looking forward to participating uh, this year. If you can't make it for the, the whole time, 
you got you, you take people that can come and go right oh sure for a day or two or whatever so it's not like you have to commit uh, the full three-week period or two-week whatever it is but uh, just come just come and you know some uh, some people have said they might be interested in helping some folks that are poor and don't have anything and so some partial scholarships might be available to some folks if they ask for it and show us their need okay and if you don't know how to camp we'll teach you but it'd be really good if before you come you ask some friends in your church or neighbors at camp and say what all do you need to bring and what do you not need to bring when you go camping so that that would be a little helpful (laughs) (laughs) sure well i would encourage every one of you to be as involved as possible and Part of the podcast, the whole goal of this podcast is to equip local churches for a global impact. And I think we've done that today in a, in a small part. If God has spoken to you and you want to go in the next step, you want to get to, to be involved in Ukraine, either directly going with Cal or indirectly by sending materials, we can facilitate that. If you'd like to learn more about what mission ministry can look like here in the States, uh, we want to help out and facilitate that as well. So again, reach out to us, podcast at 4EFM.org, and we'll start that conversation. Brother Cal, thank you so much for being part of uh, the podcast today. Thank you for your life and ministry. And we pray that God will richly bless you and Eva the Rescuer on your return to Ukraine. And uh, we're looking forward to a full harvest. Lord bless you. Thanks. Love you guys. Bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye.